We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. Go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony attacks Hibbert! Denies him at the rim! Karis LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high for the jam! Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires, Smoke! Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands! What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and I'm going to be joined today by the one and only Rhett Bauer. Rhett is filling in for Fachi as we are going to talk all things Pacers, Knicks, and a little bit of Edmund Sumner. But before we get to that, Rhett, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Alex. I'm here to overreact to some preseason basketball and uh, and and just sharing our anguish about the end of the Edmund Sumner experience, as Caitlin would say. <laughs> yeah, let's let's start right there with Edmund Sumner. So I think it was in the middle of the second quarter, actually towards the end of it. I was actually kind of watching the game and I was getting into it. And as soon as the Sum- Sumner news broke. I, I kind of just lost interest in the game. I know that's very weird to say. We knew he wasn't even going to play this year, so why would I lose interest? But I, I think what was just going on is everybody was just surprised to see this trade happen when it happened. So I'm curious your thoughts. Moving on from Sumner does make sense because of the money and him not playing this year being an expiring contract. But on top of that, they bring in Brad Wanamaker on a, on a training camp deal, so an Exhibit 10 deal. 
to let him compete for the final roster spot now because they will have one open roster spot. So walk me through what you were thinking there. Well, first off, it was the Sekou Dumboya trade first Mm -hmm. from the Nets to the Rockets. And so I got the Woj tweet as everybody does. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And so I put my phone down and then I saw another one and I assumed it was the ESPN story about it. But no, it was Sumner. And boy, that just hurts. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I understand from a roster spot perspective, especially with the the third string point guard, like you said, and apparently Carlisle said after the game that that's a position that is still being uh, fought over. So from that perspective, I guess it makes sense. I just, things could not have gone worse for Edmund Sumner this summer. And I just, I can't get over the human aspect of that really. Yeah. Now you feel bad for the guy. I mean, he's such a great kid too. The Pacers took a chance on him. I believe they traded up for him actually in the second round in 2017 was the second longest tenured pacer, believe it or not, behind Miles Turner up until this point. Now Sabonis has taken over that position. But I will say this, like Sumner worked through a lot of injuries. He is kind of an injury-prone guy. But at the end of the day, like when he played, he was impactful. Like you clearly saw the development from him. Like I remember that Hawks game so well to end this season against Trey Young his rookie season when he had like 30 points and hit the game-winning free throws. Like, that is my favorite Edmund Sumner moment that I can remember because he just went off that game. There's a lot of, you know, just he's, he's a good, impactful player. I didn't necessarily see him having a spot in the rotation with the Chris Duarte draft pick, signing Torrey Craig, Jeremy Lamb still being on the roster. I just didn't see him getting a chance to really crack the rotation unless injuries occurred, which they have. But now, now looking at things, the Pacers did acquire the draft rights to Juan Pablo Vale, uh, I believe is how you would say it. He's from Argentina. So if they do end up bringing him on, we'll find out more about him later. But really just a trade to free up some cap space and putting the human element aside, let's talk this through a little bit. You talked about how Rick Carlisle said this third point guard position is really up for grabs still. So with them bringing in Brad Wanamaker, does that say they're not maybe impressed with the guys they have in camp right now? I would say so. Maybe just bring in an extra body, somebody who is a vet to be in that third string point guard spot. Because, I mean, like you said, it doesn't seem like they trust them enough to just hand over that role to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have just dumped Sumner for nothing and then brought him in. So I, it's interesting that they like everybody played for the Pacers tonight. And nobody really looked that great towards mm-hmm. the end of the like when when guys like Dwayne Washington and Kiefer Sykes and all of them were in there, they didn't look that great. So it kind of makes sense in that regard. I just I don't know the human element, man. I just can't I just can't get past it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's tough, and you, and you feel bad for a guy that goes through that. I mean, poor Woj couldn't even spell his name right. Didn't even know what the actual injury was. I mean, it's clear that. Woj could care less about Sumner, but he had to get the news out. So I, I feel bad for Ed. I really do. I'm not sure how he is able to recover. I don't know. Since he's not technically on a roster after the Nets wave him, is he still able to rehab in Indianapolis and be at the Pacers facility and do their workouts or, or rehab at their workout facility? I'm not sure about that. I don't know if you know any insight on that, but I, I would think it should be okay if the Pacers approve it. I think we'll just have to come down to the league and them approving that. Um, that happening, I guess you could say, with Ed still working out there. 
that's the only thing that would save this in my eyes, just to have him still around the team and rehabbing and all of that, because it's obviously not an easy process. That that would make me feel just a little bit better about the situation. But you mentioned about Juan Pablo. He just signed a deal over in Europe. I think it was a two-year deal. So there's zero chance of him coming over drafted in 2015. So there's uh, <laughs> we don't have to worry about him taking a roster spot at all. Right. It was more so just the rights. Kind of like how the Pacers have traded rights to players for years and never come over. I, I think it's just something to give something back, I guess you could say. Gave up a second-round pick that they got from Miami. Those Miami picks that they acquired in the T.J. Warren trade have been put to good use. They've been able to figure out ways to use them and get some get some help. So freeing up that that roster or that cap space really does help them right there because they were really close to the tax line. So if anybody hits bonuses, you know, there's that. And it also, you know, if they bring on Kiefer Sykes as that backup or that third string point guard, his contract will not nearly be as much as that two point million was. So that's why I'm just, I get it. I, I, I questioned this on the podcast. I said, do you think they cut Edmund Sumner to try and, you know, get some cap space available. And I said, I don't really know. Not cap space, but a roster spot available. I said, I don't really know if they're going to do that. The trade route made a little bit more sense to me, but at the same time, it's just the Pacers have been so careful under the Pritchard era of trying to treat their players right and always doing things the nice way, I guess you could say. So this does seem a little bit not not like some of the Pacers would do, but I think they're trying to win. And everybody now believes that this trade was made because the Pacers are going after Ben Simmons. And I'm just laughing because I I don't think it has anything to do with it. But the moment I say that, they're going to trade for Ben Simmons. So I'm being very careful with what I put out on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, if they traded for Ben Simmons while we were on the pod, this might go for another 45 minutes to an hour. But oh, yeah. the, the funny <laughs> part about them like clearing a roster spot in a trade for Ben Simmons is that the Pacers would be the one trading multiple players to bring in one. So you're creating one roster spot to trade three players for one, and then you have three open roster spots. So no, I don't think this is a precursor to a Ben Simmons trade. Uh, that just, that math does not quite check out for me. No, it seems like a very minor deal. I think people just want the, the bigger deal because of course it's been talked about on the jump. Brian Windhorst, Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks talked about it on their podcast today, The Low Post. It's it's intriguing to, to talk about Ben Simmons. I know there's a lot of fans that are iffy about it, but, you know, I think that if the Pacers were able to add Ben Simmons, it would be a fun experiment to try out. I, I think it'd be worth the risk, but I do understand why some fans are hesitant about it, just depending on what they do and who they keep and how all those pieces fit together. But we're not going to talk about that. So Edmund Sumner, I just want to say I wish him nothing but the best. Hope he recovers well. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will hit on this Pacers-Knicks game and just give some of our takeaways from the game. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide 
that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, Red. so the Pacers lost 125 to 104 in their first action in the preseason. I will say I was super excited all day to see the boys back on the court, but by the middle of the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, I was really starting to lose interest. I know that sounds terrible because I wanted to see Duarte and Jackson and all of them. I guess I was excited for individual play, but I forgot how bad the preseason is. <laughs> and it's just like, man, I think I don't want to make any major takeaways from tonight or anything like that, but it was just kind of like a very boring game. And um, I'm just curious, what were your thoughts at all? on the beginning of the game and, and kind of how things started out. Well, the Pacers played their starters, quote unquote, their starters uh, at most 20 minutes. Sabonis led them with 20 minutes. And then it was 18, 18, 18, 16. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Knicks played their starters, quote unquote, Randall was 30, Gibson 21, Kimba 21, Fournier 27, Barrett 25. So it's not a surprise that we got smoked and it, I felt like when the starters were in there, like, yeah, if you look at the box score, you're going to see minus 10, minus 8, 8, 8, 9, like all that stuff. So it didn't look great, but I I enjoyed watching it for the most part. It was interesting to see what kind of rotations that they ran out there, especially with all of the injuries, trying to figure out once you lose Levert and Warren and obviously Ed, seeing what sort of lineups they're going to throw out there. And there was a whole lot of bench only lineups and and then obviously bench with Sabonis as well. And there were just a lot of interesting things from this game. I, I mean, I get like once the Sumner news came out too, I was just kind of distracted going back yeah. and forth from Twitter and stream, like all that stuff. So I, I'm with you on that, especially towards the end when like I had to make sure I, I looked at the back of the Jersey carefully to know who was exactly out there. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it's preseason basketball. There's nothing really to overreact to, but I think there were a couple takeaways still. Okay, well, let's get into those because I think my biggest takeaway probably from the starting unit was how they utilize both centers. I, I know I saw you tweeting a lot about Miles Turner. I thought Miles Turner looked really aggressive at times. Good to see him getting more involved in the offense. I also found it interesting to see Domas, and I think um, Frazier brought this up a lot, on the Knicks broadcast, Domas was playing a lot of five out. They weren't really putting him down low in the post if they weren't utilizing him. So he was kind of being a stretch big at some points. Now, I don't think that the Knicks really worried about him, but he was still in that, that spot. So I thought for the bigs, I mean, Sabonis was still utilized for the most part how he normally is. A lot of dribble handoffs, a lot of elbow action there, especially in that first half with him. Turner got some really nice moves to the basket as well. 
really liked what I saw from him. Looked more aggressive, looked pretty comfortable too. So maybe you, uh, you want to dive in a little bit deeper on that Turner uh, showcase tonight. Yeah, so I put it out there. Miles was being incredibly aggressive off the catch, off the bounce and all of that. It just seemed like he was a little bit out of control. And a couple times it seemed like he didn't have a plan. He made a layup on one of the ones that didn't seem like he had a plan. So that was, it. I guess, the end to justify the means. But it was very interesting to see how they used Sabonis because it didn't seem like he was very involved in plays that Miles was the screener. And I guess that kind of makes sense because you can't have both of your bigs doing stuff and putting Domas in the corner, spacing the floor makes some sense. And it did when he was ready and willing to shoot the ball off the catch because he had a couple, he had two threes, missed both, but both of them were off catch and shoots where he didn't hesitate. He put the ball up and it was generally a good shot. So if that's how they're going to play things and then use Domas as the, as the hub, as they do, with the bench unit like they did a couple of years ago. That's kind of interesting to me. I like seeing Miles more involved, obviously, because, you know, it's been a talking point for quite a while that Miles just hasn't been involved in the offense and had his usage go down every year. But I'm not sure putting Sabonis in the corner to have Miles involved in the action is the way to go as much as trying to find a way to have both of them involved, which I, which may sound silly because obviously if Carlisle and all them went through all these practices and everything, and that's the way they want to do it, then there's reasons for it. So I'm not going to doubt that, but just really interesting to see how everybody was used. And hopefully we can get some more insight on that in the next couple of preseason games. Yeah. I was actually blown away when I looked at the box score to see Sabonis only had five shots. And he went two of five from the field. And the first shot that he took, he made against Gibson down there in the post. And I think it was the first, like, three to four possessions. It really felt like the offense was going through him. And Turner was just standing in that right corner. And I know Turner ended up getting the ball in that fourth possession on that right corner. And Domas got called for an offensive foul. I think he was, like, a moving screen or something like that. And then the very next play, we saw Turner start to get utilized there as a screener. So I was kind of intrigued by how at first I thought okay they're going to be going through Sabonis a lot again okay I'm, I'm interested to see how they utilize Turner and then all of a sudden they flipped it and I think it was either like the sixth or seventh play of the first quarter Domas was actually in that dunker spot on one of the plays and I actually thought that made more sense to kind of do like a four out with one down low how they used to do some with Thad Young and you know Sabonis is such a good passer if you can get Turner popping and that guy driving uh, whoever the ball handler might be, it does make some sense. Or even get Turner rolling, he can hit Savonis down there on the on the baseline. Just some really intriguing, you know, ideas. But really, they didn't do a whole lot of that. Most of the time, it was five out. So I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was no staggering of the bigs at all. I mean, besides the few minutes Domas played with the second unit, went right back to that starting unit with about eight minutes left in the second quarter. So. I was curious to see if they would pull one of the bigs out early and maybe bring in O'Shea or Isaiah Jackson or whomever and then bring that center back in for the other center at the end of the first, kind of like we used to see with Sabonis going out early, but didn't really see that in the rotations tonight. And, and we saw a lot of the full bench unit, which looked really sloppy to me. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that they played the bigs together when they only played 18 and 20 minutes total because 
like if you have only a few minutes on the like you're not even going to play half the game then you kind of want to see what the two bigs can do together because I'm assuming that's what they've been working on the most is trying to find a way to get these two to work together and so I kind of get the lack of staggering from that point and then like you said a couple minutes playing Domas with the bench kind of makes sense but yeah a lot of bench a lot of Isaiah Jackson, it seemed like. Chris Duarte was not shy at all. Uh, and then, obviously, Torrey Craig, towards the end of the game, was, like, bringing the ball up and initiating offense. And I, if you had given me, like, 15 guesses of what we would have seen for this preseason game, that would not have been one of them. <laughs> no, I mean, that is hilarious. I, I will tell you this. When I saw that, that second unit with – they brought Bursette in for Sabonis, and then they had Torrey Craig out there with Isaiah Jackson, TJ McConnell, and Duarte. I said, where is our offense coming from? I mean, I know that last year we saw TJ McConnell kind of carry the offensive points, but, like, O'Shea Bursette wasn't really being utilized at this point in the offense. It felt like everything was just like the Duarte show. And Torrey Craig just kind of felt like he was out there. Like, I know it's preseason, but part of the game I'm just like – He's not really doing much. Kind of reminded me more of like Sam Young when he was on the Pacers, um, especially during preseason. Like, oh, here's a guy that's known for his defense, not very good offensively. Isaiah Jackson, I felt like, I felt like while he is athletic and he does a lot of really good things, tonight when I was watching, I was thinking, okay, he's he's a rookie. He's gonna have to really figure this out going up against like a veteran like Taj Gibson and those kind of guys. Even Ob Toppin just having one year. And, and of experience makes a huge difference. And I think once Isaiah Jackson continues to get reps and stuff like that, it'll be fine. I think the same thing for Duarte. There was times where Duarte looked like he was rushing a little bit, maybe just a little bit forceful, but I felt like as the game went along, he started settling down and being a little bit more poised and getting, getting his rhythm and getting comfortable. So I think I'm not overreacting to it. I just felt like these guys need that, that on-court chemistry going up against different guys not their teammates, and they can figure it out. But I don't anticipate this being the long-term second unit. We'll see how those, uh, how Carlisle tinkers with the lineup if he goes 10 deep throughout the season. But I do like how it was kind of set up. But it felt like when Goga came in there for Isaiah Jackson, it was just a little bit more structured there with that Pacer second unit. Yeah, Goga not seeing any playing time until midway or late in the third was definitely interesting. And O'Shea Brissett not being in the initial bench rotation, he didn't come in until uh, Domas came out after his little stint with the bench unit. But it Duarte's going to be ready to play. I have no doubt about that after watching him through summer league, which obviously you don't want to overreact to. Watching him in this game, which obviously you don't want to overreact to. Right. But he just showed that he can do some things. And I, you're absolutely right about the offense coming in that all bench unit. I don't see any way that that's something that you put out there in a game where you're playing Brogdon, Sabonis, Miles, and hopefully Levert, a full complement of minutes. you got to keep at least one of those, hopefully two, on the floor at any given time just to avoid having TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte as your, as your best sources of offense. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, like we can't not talk about Jeremy Lamb on the boards, though. Too like, yeah, no, we'll we'll get to that because <laughs> he was aggressive, and I think that came from just it was a more of a coaching philosophy. Like, I, I thought I saw more boxing out than I've ever seen before. I know that yeah. rebounding is something that we have harped on with this team has just been absolutely dreadful at, 
And we finally got to see some positives in the rebounding categories, especially against a good rebounding team in the Knicks. Like Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, these are all really pretty good rebounders. But Jeremy Lamb leading the team in rebounds, I believe. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Especially this is a guy that talked at media day talking about how he was a little bit nervous of getting knocked down and being a little bit physical. So to go after the boards, you have to be a little bit more physical. I, I knew it was a priority that they had been – talking about just by the way Chris Duarte when he came in for Lamb attacked the offensive glass immediately got that board kicked it out to Brogdon that Brogdon hit a three one of his only two shots that he made out of nine attempts Brogdon looked like he was just walking through mud tonight did not seem like he was too uh, engaged in my opinion um, I, I'm not over talking it I just I feel like he could care less about being there um just just felt like it was a really off night for him. And I've seen him play much more aggressive in the regular season. So tonight I'm just glad, most importantly, nobody got hurt, right? But, yeah, that's that's a great point with Jeremy Lamb. I mean, other than that, Sabonis had eight rebounds. I don't know what Turner ended up finishing uh, rebound-wise with four, but that's really not bad for, what was it, 18 minutes that he played? 18, 16, yep. So, I mean, and, and, and my thing is I don't really care if Miles or Domas – get double-digit rebounds. If the, we're winning the team rebound category, that's all that matters to me because our guards have been pretty pitiful on the glass for the last couple of years, and we've really got to address that because you can't rely on your only center or your two centers to get all your rebounds. Yeah, it was really nice to watch and see Miles and Domas getting a body on somebody no matter what, whether it was Gibson or Randall. And and letting Lamb come in there and get the board. we If you look at the box score, it's kind of surprising that we lost by 21 because we out-rebounded them, same assists. We shot better from three, but we had 16 turnovers to their three turnovers. And so that very quickly tells you kind of how sloppy things were on the Pacers' side of the ball, even though it didn't seem that bad to me. I mean, it was, it was preseason basketball, so that's – I mean, you take that for what it is, but – I would not have guessed that we were minus 13 in the turnovers department. So, I mean, if, if we can clean that up a little bit, I don't see any reason why we can't uh, get a little bit more excited about what this team can do this season. Yeah. And I, I think really, if you also look at it, some of the big things I took away, it's like, man, just imagine if we had TJ Warren and Karis Levert in that starting lineup, it, it would just add such a different dynamic. Like we like Justin Holiday and, and Jeremy Lamb is a guy that, you know, we brought in here to be a six-man, seventh-man. He's not a starter-level player, in my opinion, especially now at this point in his career. But you bring those two guys in and in, in, into that starting lineup, they provide, you know, some stuff, but not to the level, not even close to the level of what you want from Warren and uh, Karis LeVert. So it's just like you imagine putting those guys on the bench. Probably one of them is not in the rotation with Chris Duarte, probably getting minutes over Jeremy Lamb, I would assume. But – you never know at this point, but that to me, it's just like, okay, if we're fully healthy, I feel much better about how we would compete against the Knicks. I know it's just preseason, so I'm not trying to get over analytical with it, but thinking about that in your head, like you'd be like, man, this team's garbage. Like I already saw takes, takes like, oh, we're a terrible team. It's like, it's, it's game one of the preseason. Can we just chill out a little bit? Let's see what we get health-wise. And I will say this. Watching that second unit offense, all I could think to myself is, man, we were spoiled over the last couple of years to see Doug McDermott with that second unit. I don't think people realize just how good he was 
in the chemistry that him, Domas, and TJ McConnell had together. Without a doubt. Yeah, it was it was such a a pain to see McDermott start for the Spurs. I just I didn't didn't <laughs> didn't expect that. And it's like, oh man, he's he's really not on the Pacers anymore. But yeah, it's uh it's I saw more takes about the Pacers organization for trading Sumner when he was hurt, who ultimately got cut, than I did about the actual basketball game, which I guess is good. I don't know. I don't know if either of those warrant like a complete disowning of your fandom, but um yeah, I'm not I, like I said, I'm not taking anything from this other than the team going that deep in the rotation, only playing the starters a handful of minutes and seeing some things that happened with those starters. I will say that seeing Jeremy Lamb out there, the box score doesn't look great for him other than the nine rebounds, which is a complete anomaly, but he seemed to do, he seemed to move pretty well. I thought he was getting to the line a little bit and even defensively, it didn't seem like he was that bad. It definitely seemed like last year put him in bad spots and he's not going to be good, definitely not going to be great, but to see him just be a normal player, just to see him be an NBA player was kind of nice. And so that's one of the things I'll be looking for next game as well is to see if he can continue to regain some of that value that I'm assuming just wasn't there over the summer as it seems like the Pacers were trying to move him and couldn't. Yeah, and that's another thing. You talk about Edmund Sunder, the Pacers reportedly tried to move Jeremy Lamb, but nobody wanted him. And I, I heard somebody say, well, why don't they trade Lamb over Sumner? This is just gross. Why would you trade a guy that's injured? Look, $2 million is a lot easier to trade than $10 million, okay, people? And you need a healthy body. It doesn't – that's the only thing I dislike about the NBA. I wish they almost had, like, one IR spot or two IR spots just because if a guy goes down with an injury, you can put him on the IR and then find a way to bring another player in to fill that spot and not have it, you know – go against your roster count. I mean, it maybe goes against your salary, but not against your roster. I think maybe the NBA could look at something like that because really that's just such a bummer for Ed, you know, getting cut by the Nets as soon as they acquire him. But I think with Jeremy Lamb, people were bashing him like crazy and not like, oh, I hate watching him play. He's terrible. I, I think people are just so done with Jeremy Lamb because of after the injury, he didn't look great last season. And last year was just such a tough year. People aren't giving him the benefit of the doubt. Where I thought tonight, like you said, he really wasn't that bad. I thought it made a lot of sense why they're actually starting him over Duarte just because he's got the experience and he doesn't get – he won't get rattled. You know, he's he's got that experience on him already where he's been a starter. He's been in big games, you know, big regular season games, I should say and been able to prove, hey, you know, I've done this while I've been here. I know how to play uh, in the NBA where Duarte is still learning. And maybe give it like two or three weeks and Duarte shows what he did tonight and, and is consistent putting up, what was it, 15 points tonight and five assists. If he's able to do that on a consistent basis, you know, playing 20 minutes a game, then, hey, maybe then you do think about inserting him in that starting lineup for Jeremy Lamb if Lavert and Warren miss some significant amount of time. But I just felt like the Jeremy Lamb hate already in game one of the preseason was a little bit overblown. There's a lot of good reasons to start Jeremy Lamb right now. And one, to recoup his value, get him playing with the starters so that he's not asked to do that much. And so maybe he can thrive in a lesser role where the defense is already reacting to the other starters. But also, 
it takes so much pressure off of Duarte and lets him come into his own at his own pace and not have to worry about coming in and immediately starting as a rookie, because then if he doesn't do well, do you take him out of the starting lineup? And then you're the rookie that started and couldn't hack it. And so now you're off to the bench. I wouldn't want to do that. And so it makes just way more sense. Just bring him off the bench bench, bring him along slowly, let him figure it out. And if he ends up taking that job from Jeremy lamb, then okay, he earned it. But in the meantime, letting Jeremy Lamb go out there and try to recoup some value is definitely worthwhile, especially while Karis Levert and TJ Warren are out. Yeah, and I, and I think it makes sense too. Like Jeremy Lamb is a, a guy that there was rumors that the Mavericks had interest in him last year. So maybe Carlisle likes his game a little bit more than the Pacers fans do. But ultimately, it's just one of those things where you got to get his value up. And if he's able to contribute, then you've got someone that you can rely on because I hate to say it, but injuries have not been the Pacers friend. I mean, they were making fun of us on the next broadcast about being injured since like 2011 with Danny Granger. Okay. So it's just like, you know, the Pacers have not been able to catch a break. Paul George broke his leg. You know, it's just like over and over and over again, we've had unfortunate injury luck and, Having healthy bodies is important. That's why you see, maybe you could say it's a heartless trade of Edmund Sumner, but the best ability is availability. And if these guys aren't able to play, then you got to find a way to get guys on the roster that can. And I, I felt like tonight, Keelan Martin coming in, playing like he did, you know, you could just tell he's got some experience underneath him. Some of these other guys that are maybe lesser in the rotation because they're on two-way contracts or Exhibit 10 contracts, there's a reason why. They're just not ready quite a way. Uh, they're not ready quite yet. And then you see the Brad Wanamaker stuff. Look, Brad Wanamaker might end up getting that third point guard spot and be the 15th man on the roster with a minimum contract. Only reason why he might get it is because he's got that experience. And it does, it does pay off when you do have experience in the league and unfortunately, from just a, a viewer standpoint, you can tell when someone's played in the league and had somewhat success versus someone who's still trying to prove themselves because guys that are constantly trying to prove themselves can overdo things, they can overthink things, and that's just something that you just want a guy to feel comfortable in his role. You don't want to make a guy feel like he's competing for something and they can become a little bit forceful. We've seen that. Throughout times, you know, guys trying to prove their worth in the rotation. They can force stuff, and that's not the route you really want to go. But overall, first preseason game, I don't think we'll do recaps of every preseason game going forward. But I just wanted to talk about this one and kind of get your thoughts on everything. Do you think Carlisle maybe be might be holding some stuff in, not wanting to show his hand too much with what he might do with this roster? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question, and that comes to – fruition with the minutes that the starters played because obviously that is a very easy way to determine that they did not take this game nearly as seriously as Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks did but yeah I'm really looking to see what will change from game one to game two and then see what uh see what goes on as they add more and more minutes to the starters yeah no I agree with you so Rhett where can the people find you at on Twitter and do you have anything that you want to promote for your fantasy basketball league 
Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. I am on there far too much. Just ask my wife. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff for my fantasy basketball podcast, Punt Intended. Uh, we're having a really good time over there, breaking down team recaps right now, a couple of mock drafts we did, and then just generally reacting to all of the NBA news with a dynasty lens. So if you're interested in that, please give me a follow and, and let me know what you think. All right, everybody, you can find me at Alex Golden NBA, my co-host Mike Focci at underscore F-A-C-C-I. We're on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3, over on Instagram at Pacers Talk, and on Facebook and on TikTok at Setting the Pace. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. See y'all later. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.